Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, a Dark Sun podcast. I'm your host, Robert. And I'm the sidekick, Jesse. <laughs> no, you're the co-host. Uh, <laughs> and in this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the Siltside city of Balik for episode 23. But first, let's get into some news. All right. So folks may have seen that there's been some movement on the Athos.org front for those who are unfamiliar with it. And how could you be listening to this Dark Sun podcast and not know about Athos.org? This is a, a web portal that contains all sorts of useful information for Dark Sun aficionados going back to third edition D&D with a special agreement with Wizards of the Coast to be allowed to publish it. And uh, Athos is now queuing up to do regular releases of the Athasian Survey Project by Jack Meyer. The Sorcerer's Workshop, Secrets of the Hidden Defilers just dropped, and there's more coming. Robert, you're better informed than me. Tell us all about this stuff. Yeah, so it's a lot of stuff that has been sort of out there, kind of hidden away. We just released Wisdom of Sorrow. It was written by Brax, aka Peter Nuttall, a long time ago, and it was supposed to be an opening to Lost Cities of the Trembling Plains. And so we've had a lot of that content that's three quarters written for a long time. And so after Jack and his team get finished with the Deadland stuff, they're going to pivot and probably go to the Lost City stuff. And so Wisdom of Sorrow seemed appropriate to, to have on the website. Right, right now it's on Brax's old, I don't know, tripod side, I think it was, <laughs> um, which is still technically up, but you know, it just probably doesn't see a lot of traffic. So I wanted to make sure that it got out there for people to see. It's a really cool read. It is basically Oranus of, of Kern talking about about history as he sees it and the history of the world as he sees it. it's a long read but a really good kind of in character fiction read and then we have enough content uh with like you said the athasian survey project and that project was kind of what brought jack meyer to most people's attention on the facebook page he released those once a week or once every couple of weeks little short fiction that included a different location so it's kind of just like the the wanderer not necessarily the wanderer but the character kind of walking around the world and and seeing the world and so he's sort of updating those and we're kind of making them a project on athos.org and then the sorcerer's workshop was you know there's pesky defilers always trying to get into the veiled alliance and otherwise hide their their magic not necessarily from the veiled alliance but from anyone really and so these were some second edition rules of items on or no sorry they were third edition written default third edition rules of items on how to hide their power and then there are also some notes on how to how to use them in second and fifth edition as well a lot of the ideas in here are fantastic regardless of what edition you're using definitely i love the athasian survey project because uh jack also went and and picked out photos for different regions mm -hmm. and these are wonderful if you have players who aren't super familiar who with dark sun or who didn't grow up in the deserts of southern california and arizona mm -hmm. uh, and and maybe they don't understand what the difference is between a scrub plain and a mud flat and a sandy waste and you can just hold these up and say this this is where you are definitely yes we have stuff going back years plus new stuff coming out we're going to be releasing stuff every week, so check it out at athos.org. Plenty of material to tide over folks who have been feeling that drought, the dehydration, the dried, parched throat <laughs> of wanting more Dark Sun content. 
speaking of more Dark Sun content, as part of their recent announcement of Spelljammer coming to us, which has very little to do with Dark Sun, uh, <laughs> WotC released the Nightmare Beast on their website and on D&D Beyond, which presumably will soon be one and the same since they also have uh, integrated D&D Beyond and are bringing it in-house. Mm-hmm. And there's some new art of the Nightmare Beast, and it's a little bit different, obviously. It's a new edition, and there's a new art style, but a lot of the familiar elements are in there, the big curving tusks and the bulldog-like stature of this horrid thing. I don't know how many of you out there have used Nightmare Beast against your PCs. I have. It was a hilarious time. The PCs actually wound up getting tracked by a Nightmare Beast and they went to Uruk and had the Nightmare Beast follow them into the oh city <laughs> and then basically teleported out and let it on the loose in Hamanu's palace. So <laughs> great time right. was had by all. Check it out and see what you <laughs> kind of devastation you can wreak on your campaign. Yeah, I think they kind of missed the nightmare of the Nightmare Beast, though. Uh, How so? I don't know. It just seems it doesn't... I don't know. Where's the nightmare? Wasn't there... Mm. I feel like there was a power... That was more had nightmare. Like it does a frightful howl, but that just makes someone frightened. Right. It's not that exciting. That's true. But I do love the art. The art is super cool. Although I feel like it's a little bit too live, just too live. It looks like a cat, right? Mm-hmm. The way that it's kind of sitting. So that, to me, I like the, the old bulldog dog look. But someone did point out, as I was saying, like you can't, you don't have a sense of scale in this picture. But someone did point right. out that there's a little skeleton down there, so you get a, a, a that gives a little bit of scale. But still, it it's feels pretty it, enormous. It, yeah, it, it, it's like somebody also mentioned that it kind of looks like a raincore, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, kind of does. Yeah, yeah. Bit of the Rancor vibe to it, yeah. And, and it could very well be that there's just differences within the, the phenotype. Like, oh, of course, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The second edition Rancor is the, or Rancor, Nightmare Beast is the <laughs> one that's, you know, hitting the gym, and like getting that. the protein supplements. That's right. <laughs> or this, maybe this is what happens when a Nightmare Beast has to jump from Spelljammer ship to Spelljammer ship. Yeah, yeah. Could be anything. <laughs> so and then somebody also mentioned, like, how does this thing even eat? How does it get food to its mouth? <laughs> <laughs> with those tasks <laughs> right it. well uh it's cool every problem is a question and the answer for solving it is inspiration for an adventure that's right totally let's talk about inspiration something that i forgot to mention thank you chris moneymaker for reminding me in our last episode i've forgotten to mention that june solar had released City State of Yurik. It is a book that he did on his own, and it is amazing. It has like 78 pages, I think, of good Yurik goodness. Now, he wrote this in his own timeline, which kind of has several Sorcerer Kings returned, and it's written in free year 40, technically. That being said, you know, I just read it recently again, and there's only like three mentions of the timeline in there, and it really doesn't even matter. So like you could definitely use this in any any timeline. This is a, a huge undertaking. The city states got some definition in the old second edition days with like the ivory triangle box set and mm-hmm. whatnot. But with Uruk, you know, we hear a lot about it because of the war between Uruk and Tyr, but we don't see too much of it aside from there's a bit in Dragon's Crown where you visit it briefly. And uh, so this is wonderful piece of work to characterize that city, especially if you're thinking about what if I wanted to run a campaign that started there? Ulrich and Tyr are probably some of the most popular cities for starting the game because they're so well described. And of course, Tyr is sort of the default setting for the, the original box set. And then Ulrich has that strong military vibe and Hamanu is just such a powerful figure. It really creates a vibe that you can immediately grasp. 
This is an excellent resource for anyone who's looking to start a new campaign of Dark Sun and is thinking, what about this place? Or maybe if one of your PCs wants to be a character from Uruk, this can give them an idea of the sorts of places and people that they'll run into there so that they can have anecdotes and a character history that makes sense. Definitely. And not only did June kind of take all the information from all of the disparate rules resources, but he also used a lot of the information from the Chronicles of Athis, Lynn right. Abbey's books. It has 10 surrounding client villages, includes all of that, and a lot of details about the the Templarit and stuff. It's just, it's so good. There's there's so much good information. If you're running the game, definitely. I think people use Uruk so much because it was featured in the books. And so, you know, we've kind of had a picture probably more than any other city-state of what the Silver King is like. That's true. There's the whole story of Pavet mm -hmm. that, that's related to that and his time as a Templar and later as a Druid. That's a weird dual class. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is an excellent resource to pick up and fire you full of ideas and maybe give you a new idea for a character or a campaign. Great work, June. Definitely. Talking about great work, there is a new release on the Moons of Athos. So if you have not seen this, it is uh, moonsofathis.blogspot.com, and this person has just put out so many cool things. They've done like the Athasian Zodiac, Visible Lunar Conjunctions, Grouped by the Endlian Cycle, Travel to the Moon, <laughs> Cycles of the Moon, Harvest Moon and Bloom, just so much stuff. If you like and you want more information about uh, Moons of Athis, check out this website. The most recent release was a calendar for the city-state of Draj, which is just fantastic. Just so many you know, so much cool detail here. Of course, since the city-state of Draj is inspired partially by Mesoamerican culture, the idea of a lunar cycle and lunar calendar is one that you can get a lot of juice out of. I love the fact that Moons of Athos talks about some of the lost pseudo-canon of Dark Sun. You know, everyone's heard about the Messenger Comet actually being a Rulisti spaceship that's coming back around to return to Athos from its scouting mission. But there's notions of what if one of the moons is actually the lavish jungle world mm -hmm. and you're doing sort of this Athos is doing the john carter of mars desert planet what if this is more of a venusian jungle full of alien creatures and whatnot and it, it can provide you with a really interesting sort of okay primitive survival vibe yes but now instead of it being desert it's just the jungle that is constantly out to kill you it's the forest ridge except it's the whole world <laughs> and of course you know this being a world of magic and psionics you know you can get from one to the other potentially so you could play with a short storyline of the characters being banished there or summoned there or you could do an entire campaign where they're they're traveling back and forth between Athos and its two moons Rao and Guthay and you're playing up the the major differences between each of them you could get sort of a Flash Gordon vibe out of that where you've got each of these worlds that has its own localized problems and then the players are trying to figure out a way to get them to work together in order to, to fight the, their tyrants and solve those problems cool stuff yeah that that definitely sounds cool one of the other things i think the thing that really got my attention to this website is the athasian disc calendar and it's this really cool calendar that you can print out you, you have to like print it out on cardstock with shovel sheets and then there's two arms that come up that you need to use <laughs> but it has so many details you can turn the all the discs and it will show you your base disc has the month ring the day of the month ring the day of the year ring a constellation has constellation names, the patterns, a uh, Guffe rising and Rao has its own disc. So you get everything 
uh, on this one sort of complicated disk calendar. It's just awesome. I, I still want to make this one day. That sounds like the perfect sort of tactile thing for doing some sort of puzzle or history piece in your game, much yeah. like the recent episode of Moon Knight, where they literally turn <laughs> back the night sky in order mm -hmm. to see what the constellations were to point something out. And you can say, oh, you got to turn back the clock to this night and see where Ral and Guthe were in the sky and then triangulate the location of this thing that you're trying to find. Yeah, um, and, and it's always fun, always, always, always fun to have something tangible on the table that the players can fiddle with and, and maybe break. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Moving on from that, we've got more great content. Adventures Under a Dark Sun blog just released a 100 non-combat encounters list, which is phenomenal if you're doing travel or going outside of the city states with a trade caravan or whatnot and you, you want to throw a curveball at the players that isn't necessarily just another fight with a monster so now you've got a table where you can just boom throw your percentage dice take one of these ideas tweak it a little bit and you have something different and memorable that may be a role-playing opportunity or a skill challenge or an opportunity for the characters to explore their own histories and pasts and talk about their characterization as a result of the context or maybe it's just a funny little side scene but bam already written ready for you to download it. And of course, we'll have the, the links to all of this in our show notes. Definitely. On to kind of some actual plays. Adventure Hook is still doing actual plays. They, I think they stopped for a while, but then they've been back for a while. I just saw that they, they've been back. So there's new episodes of that on their Twitch channel. Oh, excellent. Another actual play I need to watch. I only knew about the Vorpal Tales had uh, also done a, a recent one. Yeah, that was the new one. I, I don't think I've gotten a chance to look at that one yet. It's like we're living in this this age of all these great Dark Sun stories. I know. And of course, Lawful Stupid is doing Dragon's Crown and just got to Arakloy. I don't know how that's pronounced. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, if you're waiting to see how characters die under the boot heels of the Templars, any one of these is a, a fun time to watch. And one of the things I love about actual plays is that seeing other people interact with Athos and Dark Sun is wonderful fodder for your own imagination going on. Oh, I like that story element. I'm going to tweak it and use it. Definitely. And, you know, you definitely can't go wrong with Lawful Stupid. That's such a good one. Mark Hope, you know, he's a longtime Dark Sun fan and he's he's just got a great accent and he's just got a great voice to to kind of narrate stuff. I love listening to him. Yeah, nothing like doing the special voice. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we've been talking for 15 minutes about Dark Sun news. It's nice. It's nice to have a lot of stuff happening. It truly is. I think that with Watsi's release recently of the news about Spelljammer and Dragonlance coming to 5th edition, they're showing us now that they're not afraid to start tackling some of those old settings and set them forth in, in a new way. And of course, that's got everyone really hungering for when is Dark Sun coming? And we don't know, but it feels like it's become more possible. It's starting to feel like maybe maybe there is really a chance. You know, ever since they, they realized, oh, Ravenloft was a huge success that made big numbers. People want to see other things and, and do different things with their D&D. &D. Well, Spelljammer is different. Dragonlance is, is pretty core fantasy D&D, &D, but it has some, some very interesting twists to it. Dark Sun's about as different as you can get with D&D. So <laughs> we will see, you know, and of course, since the new revisions are coming in 2024 for the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. you know, no time like that to say, hey, and we're going to present you something uh, a little new to go with it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. But let's get on to the Siltside city of Balak. So yes. we put out a call to kind of see what people wanted us to talk about. 
and Balik was the number two idea. But we're doing Balik right now because we have another idea for the number one idea, which was the merchant houses. And mm -hmm. we're going to do something a little bit different that I think will be cool. And we'll talk about that next time uh, or when it gets released. Which... Right. <laughs> So for now, let's talk about Balik is one of the seven city-states. It, it's one that I always I always liked, and I think I kind of liked it because it was, when it was introduced in the main, you know, in the original campaign setting, I like the idea that Andropinus was, was elected to his post. They just didn't know that uh, he was going to live, uh, live that long, <laughs> live forever. So I just thought that was a, a cool kind of, just way to kind of show the city-state. And not only was Andropinus elected, but all of his Templars are elected. And so it has a, a vibe of democracy, even though it is not. Right, right. It's the the veneer. But mm -hmm. of course, this world is a dystopia. So it has been taken in a, a horrible direction. I love Balak or Balak. Um, I don't think we've ever gotten a pronunciation guide on it. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, because I love using it as a foil in my games when I set them near tier. Because in the original timetable, Tyr becomes a free city, and then they immediately wind up at war with Uruk because that's how Hamanu rolls. He's like, there's an opportunity, so I'm going to march some troops over toward it. And then if you play Road to Uruk, your PCs are potentially involved in helping to repel that invasion. But Balak to the south isn't going to take a military interest in these sorts of affairs, so... What do they do? Obviously, Andropinus is sort of watching the situation develop, and he's a sorcerer king. He's a smart guy. He's got a lot of resources at his disposal. So I typically use it as the social foil, where Balak starts sending in spies and, and people to instigate uprisings and folks who are trying to mess with the economy and, and do all these sorts of little soft things that create adventures where the, the PCs have to figure out who's actually doing what, who's working for whom, who's a spy, who can be trusted, and so on, as he attempts to destabilize the city with the ultimate goal depending on the campaign being, for instance, saying, oh, we're going to destabilize Tyr to the point where people are so desperate that they welcome me in, that they just say, we want to be controlled by Balak because they've got their stuff together and they can make sure that we have food and water. And then Andropos says, oh, look at that. The people of Tyr held an election and decided that they wanted to be a client state. I guess it's all legitimate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> One of the other things I love about Balak or Balak is that it has some ports, and I think as I'm I'm glancing at the original box set right now, and it talks about being close to the estuary of the Fork Tongue, but it really doesn't say anything about ports or anything like that, which is interesting because it's definitely talked about later on in other books. And so it's interesting to see that it doesn't look like that was something they had considered. Although I guess the next book that came out after the original campaign setting was was Dragon Kings, and there are, I believe there are, silt skimmers and things like that in that book. Right, and later on they describe Balak, and, and this, some of this gets into the, the fourth edition as well, they describe Balak as saying that a large chunk of the eastern side of the city is these old abandoned and crumbling port structures that are built into what is now part of the silt estuary, and that all provides the, the notion that once upon a time the estuary and the sea of silt were an actual ocean, and that Balak was a port city, and, and now of course that is no longer the case. The only power that water has there is through the para-element of silt, which is bad news. But the, the remnants of this piece of history are still there. And this is an interesting piece of flavor. You might be like, well, so who cares? There's a bunch of rotting piers. Who cares? But 
a big part of the way that the the sorcerer kings and queens run their business in in Athos is by making sure that people think this is the way things have always been and this is the way they will always be therefore attempting a revolution is futile nothing can ever be changed but you look at these ports as a character in Balak and you're like what is this structure what is it used for who built it what does it mean it's evidence that things were different and once you get that idea into people's heads things were different once then they start thinking maybe they can be different again so just even that little wedge is enough to give the idea that you know our world wasn't always this way and maybe we can change things one of the things that i don't know if i i can never remember if if things are like my own idea or if they are in a book somewhere that i read <laughs> but one recently in some games that i was running in Baelic, I explained how there are these canals and then there are bridges. Mm -hmm. And unlike in Tyr, where you have the Elven Bridge and it's just a bridge over over a wash, there's nothing down there. Here there is still silt in these canals. And so mm -hmm. there are, you know, there are bridges that go over them. And and I also describe Baelic as a very clean place. So even though it's right there on the on the peninsula and there's gonna be silt blown around everywhere. I always have like an army of the city's kind of street sweepers kind of mm -hmm. sweeping up silt all the time. So it's kind of clean, but only because of, you know, a lot of work being put into it. But then that also means that like these, these, these little canals, obviously it's silt. people can't swim in it. So people get kind of thrown in them occasionally to just sort of disappear. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yes. This is also a, a great hook for doing silt sailing campaigns with the, the sailing ships that you mentioned before. And if you've got a game group that's going to go to the silt estuary or you're going to deal with the story of North and South Lodopolis and how they're trying to build a bridge and the islands of giants mm -hmm. that come out wading into the silt and smashing the bridge and whatnot, Valak is an obvious major port of call. You know, if you're you're like, okay, my, my group needs to go and buy, sell, trade important things, engage in high-level training or something. Well, Valak's the city where you're going to do it. And if you started in Valak, then th this is an adventure that'll take you outside the city walls, but in sort of a controlled way, not just a, we're just going to wander off into the wilderness and get eaten by a nightmare beast, but rather, <laughs> a, a, okay, we're going to have an adventure in one of these nearby places. We're going to hire a silt skimmer and we're going to take it to one of the islands. We're going to have some adventures there and then we're going to come back to the city and then go on to the next thing. So great opportunities for you to structure adventures, both long and short out of that. Yes. And speaking of adventures, I didn't include on the notes, but I had meant to, and uh, that just reminded me. There is one of the adventures, one of the published adventures that goes into Balik a good amount. That's Merchant House of Amketch. There are several scenes and about like I think it's one out of four parts of the adventure are in the city. And so there are several locations kind of spelled out and NPCs and things like that. It's also one of the places where we see some interplanar stuff as there's a demon summoned to trouble the the PCs. So when people say there are no demons in Dark Sun, you can point them to a Merchant House of Amkech. Yeah, there's a couple of places that demons get summoned in, in Dark mm -hmm. Sun. And I like to think that thematically, this is indicating that, you know, there's no heaven for you to go to. There's no place you can escape that's better than this world. There's no angels that will save you, but things can always be worse. There are definitely <laughs> yeah. demons. The world can get worse if you don't do something to help it. So once again, it feeds into that, that idea that things are bad, but this is a call to action for you. You can't escape. You just have to make the world better if you want it to be better. I've got Merchant House of Amketch here on my 
Dark Sun shelf, but I'm not going to go try to speed read through it right now. It is a, a, a tight little adventure, though, so worth a look. And, of course, it's available digitally on the DMs Guild now, mm-hmm. so it's easy to get. Valak, of course, like all of the city-states, has some cultural and historical inspirations from our own world, and, and it is inspired a lot by classical Greek history, with Andropinus being its tyrant father of democracy. This is interesting, too, because if you've got a Belician PC in your group, that means they're already familiar with democracy. They're familiar with the idea of voting, the idea of, of communities that make compromises, and, and these sorts of things that we consider high-minded ideal of our civilized society. And so when, say, the people of newly liberated Tyr are talking about how should we self-organize in order to form a new government, folks who have been to Balak or are from Balak are gonna raise their hand and say i have an idea yeah it would be it, it's interesting because like you said like in balik if things don't go the way that andropinus wants they usually end up going the way andropinus wants one way or another if that is a, <laughs> into the canal uh, yes exactly <laughs> if a templar wins a an election and andropinus didn't want that templar to win then they might like you said go into the canal or if Jishin's change a law and become a thorn in his side then you know into the canal and those <laughs> laws get changed again so it's interesting just to think about like what really is their perceptions of democracy is even though on the surface it's real democracy underneath it is not at all <laughs> right and and of course that's because you know all of the sorcerer monarchs are terrible evil figures and they are all using their own veneer of legitimacy. So Andropinus pretends to be a democracy in order to be legitimate, whereas you've got monarchs who pretend to be gods and say, I am I am a literal divine being and that legitimizes my regime. Or the monarch, you know, like uh, Hamanu of Uruk, who says, you know, if, if you want to be sorcerer king, defeat me fight me bro <laughs> each of them is leaning on a, a different means of legitimacy or, or nibine who's like you got to find me first it's a sort of a great lens into all of these dysfunctional societies and if you've got pcs who take the lessons of Belician democracy and then say what if we applied these to our own new communities that we're trying to form then maybe you get some pcs who start taking similar ideas from their other home communities and you get someone from Uruk, who's like, well, we need a strong military for our defense, but we can't allow the military to become a dictatorship. So we have to have some sort of divide between the civil service and the military. And you get people who come from the city-states like Draj that claim that they have a religious impetus and say, well, people need a spiritual life as well. But why do you need a spiritual life? Because it gives you something beyond just the the physical world to concentrate on, something that the psionicists do when they're always engaging in meditation and the idea of of thought and personal experience being something that is is important besides just the the needs of the material body. And and so you get these ideas where your heroic characters can say, okay, I'm going to take this flawed and dysfunctional example, and I'm going to take the pieces that are important, and we're going to use those when I become lord of a new city. (laughs) So we've been talking about a lot of Balik, but when it first started, right, in the original box set, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of information. You know, it's like literally like one column of yeah. maybe maybe one page total. And so there was not a lot of information at first. The first time we really get more information is in Veiled Alliance. And in Veiled Alliance, it's ostensibly a book about preservers and the Veiled Alliance itself. 
But it really was the first place where we get pages and pages for each city-state. And so we get details like the population, emblems, economy, residents, unusual sites, dress, culture, just all kinds of really good information about each city-state. So if you've not picked up Veil Alliance because you thought it was just about wizards or whatever, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, Veiled Alliance, because it came so early in the original Dark Sun release cadence, it winds up sort of doing double duty as a gazetteer-like book because mm -hmm. you can't really talk about all the hidden preservers in each of the city-states without contextualizing the society they're in and how they hide. So you've got to talk about like, okay, what what is it like to be from Balik or Uruk or, or whatnot? Because... If you're a preserver, you have to be able to fit in and pretend that you're just a normal person. Don't pay any attention to me. Ignore me! <laughs> yeah, one of the cool things that they include is that Balak has this sort of culture of mythology. And as part of that, they kind of make these plays. And then there are these people, they're kind of like playwrights, and they're called, I guess, rhapsodes? Rhapsodes, they're kind of like, I think. Yeah, they're kind of like bards. And it even says that they are bards, but they don't have the bard class, which... I think if you're playing in a fifth edition, you could definitely make them just a background, or you could probably do something a little more, a little more interesting with them uh, as a bard. Yeah, and they have the, of course, the hook in there where Andropinus has a defiler who wants to create his own city-state, because defilers tend to be power-hungry, and that leads to all sorts of interesting adventure hooks. One of the neat things about that is that sorcerer monarchs themselves are probably punching a little bit above the weight of your typical player character group. But a defiler who works for the city government is certainly an antagonist that you could deal with, or potentially someone that you might wind up in the middle of, of some sort of plot revolving around doing a dirty deal without realizing, oh, this job that we were sent on is actually going to help this guy who's planning to become his own sort of despotic tyrant in another city-state. Gotta stop him. <laughs> or we got to get paid. I don't know. Your characters <laughs> might be evil. I don't know. I'm yeah, not the yeah, boss of sure. your table. <laughs> These are great little hooks, but Veiled Alliance has similar sorts of stuff. But yeah, it really is the first in-depth look at the culture in Balak. The Rhapsodes, the idea that they have these plays that are allegories, is very cool because... I like how it ties to the fact that preservers and defilers in Dark Sun generally don't use spellbooks in the usual D&D conceit. Like, mm -hmm. you have a different way of setting up your mnemonic triggers for magic so that you can hide it. And the Rhapsodes feels similar. It's like you're telling a story, but what the story seems to be about isn't actually the story that's being told if you have yeah. the context of being a magician. Yeah, and that, that plays heavily into the... the the Veiled Alliance in Balak. So don't, no spoilers, but uh, it's it's very cool. Yeah. They also, just talking about the, the, the Veiled Alliance real quick, each of the city-states, it has like the Balak Alliance headquarters. It has like a map. So each of the city-states has like a little map. And there's, uh, I have to put this in the notes <laughs> because I was just looking at the other night. Somebody has gone and remade all these maps with like in like VTT, you know, usable uh, maps for virtual tabletops. Right. I'll have to find those. He was on Reddit. I'll go find those again and link them. But he did the, the, the uh, sorry, Balik, Veiled Alliance. I think he did Draj, Yurik. He did a few others. So definitely cool. Yeah, that's totally We were good. talking about, we've been talking about Balik kind of as it came from the original box set, Free Year Zero. The only other book that is sort of written in this time period is the fourth edition campaign setting. So we're still going to kind of jump forward to fourth edition in that, it's, a, it's another fantastic uh, description of Balak. It's several pages as well, and it just has a lot of great locations. 
you can tell that the writers, you know, really loved these these cities. They're just great locations, great uh, imagery. I just I love the fourth edition setting material. The art is fabulous. Even if you're mm -hmm. not a player of fourth edition, mm -hmm. the ideas in there will take you in inspired directions. And occasionally things are, are tweaked or are different. And that's just an opportunity for you to decide where your game falls in, in that regard. Sort of like how Watsi's established that D&D's a multiverse of shared different cosmologies. Your multiverse may have some differences in a world than your neighbors, and that's fine. Where is Selic located? Depends on who you ask and which world <laughs> you're in. The 4E book not only has that great description of Balik and a, a map of the city and some great art, but the creature book for 4th edition Dark Sun also has stats for the Sorcerer King, so you can get an idea of what Andropinus is like. And he's not the toughest of the Sorcerer Kings. He's not on Nibane's level, definitely. But they include some ideas of like, what kind of, you know, because of how fourth edition works, they tend to really streamline the critters down to these are the essential powers that they're going to use in an encounter. And that gives you an idea of here's how Andropinus is going to tend to do things in a fight. Even if you're doing a second, third, fifth edition game where the powers themselves are different, you'll get an idea of the kind of strategy that he relies on, which is super useful. You mentioned the great art in the fourth edition book. That was the first time we really had official art of Balik. However, if you Google just Balik and Dark Sun, the first thing that kind of comes up, if you, sorry, if you do an image search, the first thing that kind of comes up is this cool map. And you might look at it and go, whoa, this is like different than the fourth edition map. This was one done by Mike Fleming. He's, he did a bunch of third edition uh, art for the for the third edition book. And so this is a cool map that's out there. So you can even have your choice of what you want Bailiff to look like. If you want it to look mm -hmm. like a fourth edition map or or this one. Yeah, and lucky us, it's not hard to find pictures of old Greek ruins from classical antiquity. And those are a wonderful way to sort of flesh out, oh, this is exactly what this building looked. These are how these pillars are constructed. If you want to have those sorts of inspirational bits to add on to these wonderful maps that people have been creating. Yeah, so, so let's yeah. move on from sort of like the free year zero to the next set of kind of images or, or versions of Balik. The revised box set was free year 10. So after, after the events of the prison pentad, and we have a, a big change in uh, in Balik because Andropinus was uh, sent to the Black by Boris and is no longer the Sorcerer King. And so what happens is, you know, spoilers, the Waver, Reese, and Tablador, the merchant houses, decide that they are going to take over and they kind of split it, not down the middle, but they, they split it up a little bit in the same way that Alteric is split up, run by the three merchant houses. Yeah, and Waver, of course, is detailed in the Dune Trader book, so there's plenty of information about that house. And they are generally what you would consider the closest to a good guy house in, yeah. in the Dark Sun. So certainly the, the sort of people that PCs would be happy to work for and to support their agenda. They're your most likely allies in that case. Reese and Tomblador, there's not a lot of details about. We don't really know much about them. There's a little note in the Trade Lords book from Athos.org about how Tomblador has the gold monopoly because they own the little client state of Wallace and they kind of rub everyone's nose in that. And then there's a little bit of additional notes in the fourth edition book, about a paragraph each, which means that you have a lot of leeway in how you want to set this up. And the typical format would basically be to say, okay, we're going to move our cultural needle a little bit and say all right it's still very sort of greek classical era but now instead of having a dictator it's merchant houses 
maybe in the vein of like the Italian merchant states of Venice in the 17th century, or, you know, to some degree that happened in the Greek world of antiquity as well, between Athens and Sparta and Delphi and all of the different city-states having their own sort of trade connections around the Mediterranean. But in this case, it's the different sectors of the city and the different resources that each of them controls. Tombladore's got the money because they've got the gold mine. Wavier, of course, is an established house at this point, and so they have a lot of connections because they're known to be trustworthy to a large degree. And then Reese is your dark horse candidate. What do we know about them? Not a lot, which means that you can put on them whatever you want. Maybe they're the house that has been infiltrated by the Veiled Alliance and they're full of preservers. Or maybe they're the house that took up all the defilers that used to work for Andropinus before he got deleted into the black. You don't know, but that's plenty of leeway for a DM to work with. This kind of triune council of these three merchant houses sort of seems like that was just destined to happen. But one of the cool things that the revised book, before they took over, there were three others that were vying for the leadership of Balek. But Waver just kind of stepped in and took it over. And then Reese and Tomblador jumped in and said, well, if you're doing it, we're doing it too. Before that, there were three others. So there was a patrician, so one of the Balekan nobles, they thought they were going to, uh, I forget his name right now, but they thought they were going to take over. Then there was a, there was a defiler, one of the king's defilers, or sorry, no, Templars. There was a Templar. And then there was a, one of the generals. And after, after the merchants take over, the patrician, he's now working for Reese. The Templar is kind of on the run. And there are rumors that, you know, Andropinus is still able to contact some of his Templars, and this Templar is one of them. Um, and then the I really like the idea that the general has kind of taken his portion of the army and is now a, uh, you know, his own tribe out in the, uh, in the deserts. Yeah, so this is great in sort of that good, the bad, and the ugly sense, where you've got a bunch of different groups that are uneasily sharing power. And what can upset a balance of power more than a party of PCs rolling into town? So the, the obvious hook that this presents is that at some point, Andropinus presumably returns from the black. And he's going to be like, oh, the kids have been playing in my yard. Time for me to sweep the board. And to some degree, you know, some of the, the houses might be like, oh, he's gone forever. He's never coming back. And they don't prepare. And others might be more pragmatic and say, well, we should have a contingency plan in case he shows up. And then maybe you got the ones that would be wearing tinfoil hats if tin were available on Athos, <laughs> who, who are like, he's coming back tomorrow and he's going to kill us all. <laughs> ah! You know, sort of folks. Again, it's, it's one of those things that's sort of a, a wide open space. You can as the DM, decide, like, maybe Andropinus is coming back soon, and that's going to really color everything that happens here. Or maybe he's a long way off, but people are going to use this. Someone could fake being Andropinus and coming back. Or maybe you have a, a powerful clairsentient who's like, hmm, I've used precognition, and I detect that Andropinus will not return for another 182 years. And then one of his defilers says, well, that just won't do. I'd better learn a spell to bring him back. <laughs> and generate adventures out of all of this. Yeah, I love... You know, the idea that, that he could come back at any time and that, uh, you know, what's he going to do when he comes back? And does he still have the ability to give his Templars magic? Or did he lose that because he went to the Black or whatever? You know, lots of, lots of right. opportunities. Yeah, and you can get, like, a lot of, of players characters even taking different sides of this conflict with the the ones who are like he could show up at any time so we need a safe house we need a way out of the city we need allies and supplies and others who are like he could come back any time so we better party now because the end of the world is coming <laughs> so well, that was that was kind of what's written in free year 10 and then there's one more timeline there's sort of the the paizo timeline 
So yes. we go forward another 342 years to the 194th King's Age and de- uh, the year of Desert's Revenants in dungeon number 110. What does Baelic look like there, Jesse? Yeah, so this is Dave Noonan's take on Dark Sun for third edition. Dave Noonan also paired this with, the, of course, the famous dungeon article, or dragon article in Dragon 319. But the dungeon article and its polyhedron section is the one that really has the meat of the state of the world. And they said that they moved the calendar forward for this article specifically to sort of give you a, a new level playing field where you don't have to worry about where how things went in the novels. That's all old history. And they did sort of a soft reset. Andropinus has returned from the black. So Balak is under his control once more. And Atzatuk has taken over Draj and become a sorcerer king in his own right, and so on. So they sort of reset the board. Tyr remains a free city so that you can use that as as sort of the easy mode starting place for players that's you know a little safer for you to be in as a low-level character. But once you get into places like Balak, you've got a city where... 20% 20% of the population is now Maynads, which is a character type that shows up in the expanded psionics handbook. They're a psionically active species that harness their psionic energy through wild displays of emotion. And of course, they come. the term Maynad comes from Greek mythology, so that's presumably how they got fit into Balak and uh, Andropinus's retinue. He basically appears out of the black with this army, so he was jaunting around through the plains after getting out of the black for a little while and then comes back home and it's like all right i'm taking back my city you you and what army well me and this army of maynad and he succeeds so a large chunk of the city is now populated by this maynad army that he showed up with and they are of course loyal to him so they also serve as his sort of new police force and they're psionically powerful so very dangerous he uh was in exile for decades they don't really go into specific dates, which is probably just so DMs can fudge it a little bit, and then returned at the head of the army. And what that means for your PCs is that if you're in Balak now in free year 352, or if your character's from there, that Balak is a despotic city that's controlled by this evil overlord with his private army, but there is a time in living memory when it wasn't. Things weren't always this way. And once again, we get into that idea, idea of if things weren't always this way, maybe they don't always have to be this way and things can change. And it means that, of course, there's still people who remember, oh, I remember when Balak wasn't like this and there's unrest about this change. But you got to be careful because, you know, he's got his new local police force. The article includes a few pages of content that talks about its demographics, about some of the lands around Balak, the be- local beliefs and power groups, arts and crafts, what characters are like from there all sorts of stuff like here's a sentence there's a sentence every one of these is chock full of useful information that you can use to characterize people or to inspire an adventure yeah lots of lots of great content for Balak. so this was all of what was released officially we kind of briefly mentioned the the books and they're in in the books let's see in the uh, in the prison pentad they go to Balik for a bit. Uh, that's where we get our first taste of the Josel, and there is a Josel there. Yeah, there's a Josel wizard there, and so we—that's where we get the first taste of Balik and and being a siltside city. Right. So definitely check those out if you have not read the Prison Pendad. A lot of good information there. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. that kind of covers the official content, but there are a couple of other places where Balik 
is being explored. One of them is with Athos.org years ago, we had several projects kind of going. City State of Baelic was one of them. That is a partially finished project. Kind of had someone recently editing that, but that kind of fell off as well. So it still needs more content and it needs an editor uh, to do the whole thing. So uh, it is written with free year 10 in mind since it was kind of written with the, the, the third edition rule set. So if anyone is interested in picking that up, please send me, you know, send me an email, meet me on the Discord, the Dark Sun Discord or Facebook group, wherever, and let me know and talk about it. Also, Chris Moneymaker, who is a Dark Sun fan, if you're in the Facebook group, he's there on there a lot. He did his own player's guide to Balik. He's also doing a DM's guide to Baelic at some point. You can find that on his subscribe star page, which is basically like a Patreon, but it's still, it's the content is still free. It is, uh, yeah, the player's guide to Baelic. So I will put that link in the show notes as well. So if you already want to play in Baelic, you want to add some new locations, I know he's got a lot of info in this PDF. Let's see, it is, uh, pull down, pull down. Uh, it's about 30 pages, so it has lots of, lots of information about Baelic. Yeah, and if you've created something for Balik, you've run an adventure there, we'd love to hear about it. Drop us an email and we would happily provide a link in our show notes so that people can see your adventures and your takes on Balik as well. It's a, a great city-state for all kinds of Dark Sun campaigns, and I'm sure that there are other people out there who've contributed ideas in this regard. Yeah, we um, when I was playing, so I, I ran a game that was uh, kind of like a not really not exactly west marcher style but sort of like that but it was a house marineth trading caravan that just moved around and then you could you know people jumped on and jumped off whenever they wanted to in the caravan and so there was different locations um every every time we played and one of the places that players ended up wanting to stay at because this caravan was heading from selic north was balik and so um we played many sessions in balik and the the hilarious thing that always sticks with me is you know, I always sort of took Balak as more like more Roman than Greek, really, although, mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely a mix of the two. And so I was, you know, they were looking for a place to eat. And, you know, for whatever reason, like Olive Garden stuck in my head and, <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything else. And so I was just like, it's a it's a place it's called the, the Garden of Olives. And um, and so that just sort of stuck. And of course, it had uh, all you can eat breadsticks. Yep. And it was just like an ongoing thing that still is kind of constantly brought up to this day with those players. So, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. You can have the Garden of Olives in Balik. That's fantastic. I, there was uh, an article making the rounds recently. I'll, I'll put the link in our show notes, of course, about some archaeological work that was done on some Roman food stands, essentially the Roman equivalent of fast food, where you would roll <laughs> up to a, an outdoor station and then have a seat and they would throw together a, a meal from you, probably involving a lot of garum fish sauce, which obviously Balak doesn't have, and some warm bread and olives products and whatnot. So the idea is actually not that far-fetched that, you know, you, you could be looking around for something to eat and you're a visitor in this city and you've got some coins in your pocket because you're not a, a local who can barter with people for some food or a place to stay. And there's some guy that's uh, an entrepreneur running a little stone stand where he's happy to sell you a, a hot meal for the right amount of coin. I love these as ways to introduce adventures too, because you know the, the whole idea of you meet in a tavern and someone offers to hire you a job exists for a reason, because that's an actual stereotype. In the, in the US, right before prohibition, that was a major way that immigrant people in the US would find jobs, is you would go to the saloon that was in the neighborhood where all of the immigrants of your 
ethnicity lived or from your culture. And you would talk to the person there who's an established member of the community and knows where you can find work. Same sort of idea. You roll into Balak and you're like, my my purse is full and my stomach's empty. Let's sit down and get a bite to eat. And then the fellow who's sitting at the spot next to you on your left says, you look like a strong sort and able with that weapon that you're carrying. You know, I've got some work that maybe you could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> I've been, um, so once a week I go to my grandma's house uh, to, to help take care of her and stuff and mm-hmm. she she likes watching you know the old shows and so she watches like the rifleman and that's exactly what happened right like uh the the bad guy of the episode you know goes to the goes to the saloon and sees a guy that doesn't look like a local and so he walks up to him and says you know i got a job for you and it's to kill someone but you know it's <laughs> it fits exactly that uh, theme that you were just talking about very nice ah, so you know, we've kind of talked about about Balak from kind of the beginning of the of the setting up until even 300 years later. Do you have any other ideas of of Balak? Like, what what could be some possible futures? What what do you think would happen if the Sorcerer King doesn't come back with Triune um, Merchant Guild? What happens with Balak if if Andropinus doesn't come back and the Merchant Guilds stay in power? Is either they establish a sort of stable triumvirate where you typically will have one house trying to advance its interests and the other two houses opposing it and then you get into a very stale sort of political situation where the city becomes stagnant nobody's able to advance their interests because everyone else is so set against letting anyone have a win we can't let them gain popularity by having a win so we just have to say no to whatever they want no matter whether it's a good idea and of course, cities, states wind up in danger in this sort of scenario because you can't respond to an emergency. Oh, there's a plague. There's a water shortage. There's an army of giants coming out of the Silt Estuary. What do we do? House <laughs> Wavier has said we should assemble our armies and we should face the giants. And Tomblador and Reese say, no, we, we disagree because reasons. <laughs> and who fixes things? The PCs, of course. The PCs are the ones who fix things. But it's also entirely possible for one of these sorts of things to destabilize and for the situation to become that one of the houses tries to do something a little shady and they get caught and they lose their political position or they have overextended themselves on a market. What happens if the gold mines in Wallace run dry and suddenly Tomblador is out of money and that precipitates a a fall from grace? They tumble out of power. You could easily wind up in a situation where you've got two-party rule or even a city-state that has a single merchant house and it becomes many of the merchants houses have their own forts or little villages all around the the tablelands but Balak could become like the center of operations for house reese what does that mean we don't know we know nothing about reese the dm gets to make it up but Mm -hmm. it becomes the major trade city and people come from all across the uh the tablelands to trade there silt skimmers become even more prominent to move goods east across the the sea of silt and the estuary of silt caravans going out to Uruk and Tyr, and then maybe even Sionicist using wormhole powers to transport stuff all the way out to Draj because it's so far away. So those are all definitely in the realm of possibility. And then, of course, that's without even talking about the idea of a coup. What happens if someone decides, like, I'm powerful and I'm going to overthrow all of the trade houses and we're going to take over the city? You could easily turn Balak into any sort of city-state that you want in that scenario where you do a, a Spartacus campaign where some gladiator raises an army 
And then he comes back into the city and he's like, guess what? I'm in charge. You don't like it? Wah! I hit you with an impaler. I have weapon mastery. Or the, the local house of thought, the psionic academy, starts manipulating people using telepathy and clairsentience to know how events are going to play out and to influence politicians. And then they become this shadowy power behind the scenes. So it looks like that the merchant consortiums run the city. But what you eventually discover is that they are secretly being manipulated by a small cabal of psionicists. And then, of course, once that happens, happens the order wants to get their finger in that pie it creates a, a whole row of adventures for characters all the way from third level up to the dragon king's levels yeah yeah so you you just mentioned something that i completely uh, forgot to look at which is the will in the way as you say uh the house of the mind is the is the local yeah the psionic academy, academy. and it says uh yeah so like there's a the speaker of the cerebren which is uh it says the Cerebin is located on the outskirts of the city by the shores of the Silt Sea. So there's a whole, you know, every each each of the books kind of delves into a little bit, you know, whatever the topic is and how that re- relates to local cities. So so Will and the Way is another good one to check out. I wonder what else is in um Elves of Athos if they talk about a certain elf tribe that maybe makes their makes their home in um, oh, well. In Balik, have to look at there. Uh, let's let's were, take you, a look. We could yeah. have gone through all of this before we started. I know. I, that, but instead, a couple of things that yeah, I didn't didn't think about at the time. Audience, were we're bringing it to you live. That's right. That's right. You had mentioned the um, you know, the merchants and if if they're taking over and how how that rule looks. There's also the consideration of what does that rule look like to the other city states because mm-hmm. part of the merchants code is to kind of uphold the laws of the city. And to kind of cooperate with, you know, with the city. But then what happens when they're kind of doing double duty? Not only do they have to consider the laws of the city, but they also have to consider the laws of their home city. And the whole point of the merchant's code was sort of to be beyond the machinations of the of, of the city states. Right. The merchant's code is ostensibly there so that you don't get your house in trouble with a, a sorcerer king or sorcerer queen by interfering with local politics and drawing down the evil eye. Mm-hmm. But if your house actually runs its own city-state, then things become a little bit different. You are ostensibly backed by this massive political and, and wealthy economic power. But do they really want to go to war with another city-state over it? Probably not. So unless you're a really, really, really high-level operator in your household, I think that the merchant's code is still going to be applied to you. Don't cause problems. Don't rock the silt skimmer because we don't want the baleful eye of a sorcerer monarch looking at our home city and going, you know, we let you have your fun little experiment, but I bet none of you have psionic enchantments, so get wrecked. <laughs> Elves of Athos doesn't have much to say about uh, Balak in that regard. They, they talk, you know, a little bit about black markets and things, but that's very general sort mm-hmm. of information. I do consider Will in the Way one of those source books that is a must-have if you're going to do second edition Dark Sun because of how much it, it adds to the psionic system and the richness of the, the setting. There's also, of course, Dune Trader we mentioned before. One of the neat things about Dune Trader is that table in the back that talks about what sorts of resources each city has yes, and which one that. it needs mm-hmm. so that you can engage in that whole, like, I'm going to buy low and sell high business. <laughs> and that's a great thing that, to look at so that you can say, okay, what does Balak actually produce? Mm-hmm. What sorts of things do they make? What sorts of things do they import? And that'll then in turn tell you what kinds of jobs there are in the city. If they import weavings, then they don't have a lot of weavers locally, obviously. Also, yeah. in... Earth, air, fire, and water. There's just a bit about Templars of each of the city-states. 
there's like about three paragraphs on Balik about what their Templars are like, and then there's a short, really short, three, three paragraph uh, fiction about Templars and Balik as well. Yeah, well, I'll get the short version on any Templar is they suck. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's Balik in a nutshell, the great place to visit. Nobody would want to live there, but that's true of all the city-states. But it was, uh, I got to say, I, I really loved uh, running adventures there. You know, both I, I ran Merchant House of Amcatch plus just some some homebrew stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a great, great city. Lots of cool locations and cool culture. Everything, everything is... I, I occasionally, as, as some of you are aware, release mini adventures or vignettes, as I call them, for Dark Sun, and I am strongly tempted to make a new vignette based in Valak called Election Day. There you go. There you go. Yeah, one so. of the things I kind of merged in Merchant House of Amcatch, because there are these kind of psionic beetles, that's the whole shtick of the adventure, and I kind of merged it with Election Day, so there was some, there was some shenanigans going on with uh, Templars poisoning their fellow Templars with psionic Ooh. beetles. Yike. Yeah, it was fun. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us. We're just over an hour now. So Jesse, where can people find you online? You can find me at Twitter, Jesse Heinig. And of course, I can be reached on the Dark Sun Discord and Facebook groups as well. And you can find me on Twitter at Radu76, in the Dark Sun Facebook groups, on the Athos.org forums at the Arena, in the Dark Sun Discord. And if any of you want to want a hand in writing some content, we have a new group that Jack has converted his Deadlands authors group to be the Pristine Tower dev group is what we're calling it now. And so not only are they, are we kind of working on sort of the bigger projects, we're also working on articles for Athos.org there. So if you are interested in helping out and writing stuff or editing, or if you're an artist, or if you are a layout person or anything really, you want to contribute to the Dark Sun world, let me know. You can email me at radu at athos.org or catch up with me on any of those places I mentioned before. And if you want to get into the Pristine Tower dev group, just let me know and you can get an invite and we can see how you can contribute. And even if you haven't done any of these things, but you want to learn, drop a line. There's a lot of talented people in the Dark Sun Discord and, and our various working groups who can show you some of the ropes. So if you have always wondered, how do I format an adventure? How do I make art for an adventure? How do I get this stuff published? Uh, we can show you the ropes. Well, thanks, Jesse. We have sailed the Silt Seas and delved into the Siltside city of, of Balik. This is a fun jaunt. Thank you so much, Robert, and stay thirsty, my friend.